Hello and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn. I'm a mom, a teacher, a writer, a blogger, and a podcaster as well. And you're listening to episode nine of this new podcast. Today on the show, I'm going to be telling you why I love something that is called a Medi-Pedi. I'll be sharing 10-ish ways to simplify Christmas, along with a lot of great uh, suggestions from my social media followers. And my very special guest today is Debbie Travis. I'm so thrilled to be speaking to her again. She's here to talk about her new book, Design Your Next Chapter. Today's episode of This Mom Loves is sponsored by One A Day Women's Gummies, a multivitamin formulated to help support good health, including your immune function, bone and teeth development, and more, all in a tasty fruit-flavored gummy. Always read and follow the label. I'm going to start today by telling you all about the Medi-Pedi, which is short for medical pedicure. And I mean, who doesn't love a pedicure? Well, I know there are actually some people who are kind of weird about their feet, so maybe not everybody, but most people do. What's different about a Medi-Pedi is that it's performed mostly by someone with medical training. So I get mine done at my local chiropodist's office. It's a foot clinic. So it's the actual medical specialist who does the foot exam and provides foot care. So for example, I have a little mole on the bottom of one of my feet. So they've got a picture of it and they measure it to just, you know, make sure everything's okay. They have like an amazing sterile tool that they unwrap with a little blade for cutting off calluses. They can deal with special nail issues, the sorts of things that you just can't get at a salon. However, there's also an assistant who does polish removal at the beginning and polish application at the end. And they do have a special polish that's free from all of the uh, the harmful things that some polishes have. But it's really amazing because you get that medical care, but also the uh, the cosmetic aspect. And the best part of it is... Under our extended health benefits, we're covered for chiropodist or podiatrist care. So everything medical is paid for, and we only have to pay, or I only have to pay $10 for the cosmetic aspect of getting the polish on and off. And you do buy their special polish, but it's not very expensive. And I just keep the same ones in a little bag to, to keep reusing. But if you have any extended health benefits, anything through work at all, I would take a peek and just see if you are covered for basically a foot doctor's care, a chiropodist or a podiatrist, because if so, the medical aspect is paid for. So um, it's separated on the receipt, that part, and then the other part is uh, is on a different, a different page so that I know... Um, what I can't claim, and it's just the extra $10 for the polish. So I love getting that done because it uh, it really does feel like I'm having an expert look at my feet, which can be good sometimes. So definitely take a look into that if you're interested. And locally, if you want to know where I go, it's Kawartha Total Foot Care in Bob Cajun. And if the only uh, frame of reference for Bob Cajun you have is the Tragically Hip song, then yes, it is the same Bob Cajun indeed. But no matter where you live, if you have any benefits that cover that sort of thing, definitely um, look into it because it's awesome. If you are looking for me anywhere on social media, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves. I'm on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. And my website is www.thismomloves.ca. If you go to the podcasts page, you can also find show notes for all of the episodes. And this is episode nine if there's anything that you want to look up later that you miss. In the lifestyle section today, I'm going to talk about 10-ish ways to simplify Christmas. I want to share a few of my own ideas and also some great ideas that I got when I did a call out on Facebook. So as I get older, I just want Christmas to be more meaningful and and simpler. And I want to get rid of the things that aren't important and make sure I'm keeping the things that are. So a few uh, ways that I do this. Number one, I suggest to purge your decorations. I love decorating for Christmas. I always decorate very early, though it all comes down on Boxing Day or sometimes before I go to bed on Christmas Day, but that's just my own issue. But if you haven't decorated yet for Christmas this year, purge things as you go, things that are broken or outdated or you don't want to use them anymore. A lot of things you can donate different places if it just doesn't suit your style or you just want less stuff. So I'm not... uh, not advocating filling up the landfill. There are usually a lot of different places you can put decorations that are still good. And when you're packing up your decorations at the end of the season, you can also keep things organized by how you've done it. So Marcy suggested that on Facebook. She does the same thing where you can have boxes for each room or for each zone so that when it's time to decorate next year, you can just kind of pull out what you want and do little bits at a time. 
if you don't want to do a whole uh, great big huge decorating spurt. So that's an idea. But what, last year when I did a whole um, decorating purge, I ended up with two great big Rubbermaid bins that I didn't need anymore, which, which felt really good and it was less storage in the basement. Buying fewer gifts is another great idea. And I, I think a lot of times there are people that we buy for, we love them, but we do gifts because we feel obligated. So maybe it's a coworker or your adult sibling or a high school friend, and they might be relieved or thrilled if you suggested not doing a, a gift purchase this year. Maybe you still want to do something like do a baking day or a Christmas movie day or go out for dinner. It's not that you don't want to spend time with that person, or maybe it's not even that you don't want to spend money. It's just sort of the idea of gifts and more stuff. So just try to think of one person that maybe you you can forget about the exchange of an object with and try to do something different. When you need to give a gift, there are some cases where you can just do cash, like service providers, people like that. I think they really do like cash best. Um, I know in the States, they often recommend cash as a teacher gift. I don't think that's done so much around here. I've never received cash and it might be a little bit weird, but in the States, teachers are also not, not paid nearly what they are worth. So that might be why it's different there. Gift cards, a great idea for a lot of people that you want to buy gifts for. I don't think anybody doesn't like a gift card, um, especially if you don't know what the perfect gift would be for that person. Charitable donations, another idea for people who have everything. If you just want to let them know that the thought is what counts and do something maybe for their favorite charity or charity that's important to you. Just cutting again back on the, the idea of stuff. To save money on shopping, I got a couple of great ideas from Facebook. So Diane recommends maximizing your store points and saving them for Christmas time when uh, budgets are really stretched thin. She uses PC Optimum. I have that too. And you save up as much as you can because maybe you're entertaining more, buying more groceries. A lot of places you can buy gifts and, and things like that as well. Another recommendation from Marcy is she does a two-day shopping blitz just to make things easier for herself rather than spreading it all out, which is also a great idea for some people. And Maureen also recommended online shopping because of course that can be a great time saver. And she suggests making sure you look for coupon codes. Sometimes when you're ready to check out, it might say, oh, put your promo code or your coupon code here. So you can actually just Google coupon code for, and then the name of the shop and something might come up that's, that's uh, recent that you might be able to use. So that's helpful too. And she also uses Ebates to get cash back. I know I did sign up for Ebates a while back and I remembered to go into sites through Ebates a few times to get some cash back, but I keep forgetting about it. And Maureen's other idea is when you're buying gifts for kids to stick with that poem that, that a lot of you have probably heard, but one thing you want, one thing you need, one thing to wear, one thing to read, four gifts for, for each child that kind of have some meaning there. Remember another tip that store-bought is not a dirty expression. I mean, there are some things that, you know, food items, especially if your family loves your homemade, whatever it is. So for me, it's my dad's fudge. I want his homemade fudge every Christmas. Um, but in other cases, if you're doing something for a potluck or a bake sale or a time where people really don't care and they might not even know who brought what, don't feel ashamed to be bringing something store-bought. Homemade gifts are sometimes lovely, but can cost just as much in time and materials to make something homemade that you could have purchased. So don't feel, again, like it's awful if you're buying something from a store. Sometimes we put way too much pressure on ourselves. Another tip, something that worked for me a couple of years ago is asking your family what they actually want to do at Christmas time. So we asked the kids, what are your traditions that really mean a lot to you that you want to continue? Because if I'm doing something because I think the kids really want to keep doing it every year and really they don't, then it's really for not, it's silly. So I know as an adult, there are certain things I look forward to. I go to my parents' house Christmas Eve. My brother and his family are there. For me, that's that's kind of Christmas because I've done it all my life and we go to, to Mass where I grew up and I love that. So that's a tradition that I definitely want to keep. For the kids, they want new jammies for Christmas Eve, which is something we've always done with them. They make a birthday cake for baby Jesus with uh, my husband on Christmas Eve day. And then that's the first thing we have on Christmas day. They see what Santa brought. And then we, um, instead of having breakfast, they have a piece of baby Jesus birthday cake. Although I think we do brownies now because we like brownies more than cake, but we actually put a candle in, sing to baby Jesus, have our cake, and then go back and start the gift opening. So I like those little traditions that mean a lot. And really that doesn't cost anything, but it's something that, that the girls don't want to lose. And other things that I thought they would just be devastated not to do anymore, really they don't seem to care about. So it's definitely, definitely good to find those things out. Next tip is to say no. 
So say no when people ask you for things that you just can't do, things that you don't have time to commit to. Um, I decided years ago not to send out Christmas cards anymore. When the kids were really little and it was such a big deal to get their photo taken and, and send it out, I did. But now we get our Christmas Eve photo taken at my parents after mass and I put it out on social media. I always get a great response. I love seeing everybody else's family photos on social media for sure. And I don't really feel the need for me to send out cards. And I really don't think anybody's sitting around devastated because they don't get a holiday card from me. I say no to a lot of things I get invited to. I know as a blogger, I'm invited to tons of different promotional events and I say no to a whole lot of them, but even, you know, parties and things like that, we just do what, what we have time to do without being stressed out. Next tip is to focus on experiences again, rather than the stuff. So last year, um, my brother and sister-in-law and my side of family, we gave the kids an experience and then we all went and did it together rather than just something. I mean, we wrapped up the tickets and a photo or a picture and everything so that they had something to open and then something to look forward to that we all did together as a family. So think about things like that. And even, um, enjoying time with your family. So another suggestion from Diane was with her adult cousins, they don't do gift exchange anymore, but they do bring like a gag gift, yard sale, something you're supposed to be be able to bring it for free, but then they do a whole game with it and you end up taking home something, you know, tacky or funny. And it's a way to have fun, but again, without any expense. Sally left a message on Facebook just saying that last year she bought herself a goofy Christmas dress and wore it to a number of different places. So it's just something fun helps to uh, to perk up your Christmas and it's about the experience too. Embrace imperfection is another tip. Your cookies are not going to come out the same way that they do on Pinterest and no one really cares how perfectly the gifts are wrapped. I personally think gift bags are absolutely fine. Maris on Facebook mentions that she wraps with recyclable brown paper just to be environmentally friendly and attaches photos of the recipients. Um, so everybody knows whose gift is whose without having to use tags. And the last tip I'm going to share is be willing to accept help. So again, this year, my daughters have a role in a, a Christmas play and there are four school day matinees that they're performing in. Well, my husband and I are both in education. We work during the school day. They would never be able to get there if it weren't for the generosity of my parents who drive about an hour each way to get them to their play and back home again. So be willing to ask if there's something you need to do. There might be someone who loves to shop or to bake or to drive or to sew or to spend time with their grandchildren when you are just not able to, or when that would really take a load off. And people like to be helpful. They like to feel needed. So if there's anything that you could ask someone to do as a favor, sometimes it's really nice um, for that person to be able to give in that way. So be willing to accept help. Don't feel like you have to handle everything about Christmas all by yourself. I do have some other ideas in a blog post all about uh, ways to simplify Christmas, and I will have that in the show notes for this episode at thismumloves.ca slash podcasts, and this again is episode nine. So before we get to the guest interview with Debbie Travis, I just want to give you a quick word from our sponsor, One A Day Women's Gummies. I can honestly say that I take one a day every day. And while I still try to get in some fruits and vegetables, this multivitamin gives me peace of mind. It has ingredients to help maintain immune and muscle function, eyesight, and metabolism support. The chewable gummy format is particularly great if you have difficulty swallowing vitamins and comes in tasty mixed fruit flavors. You can buy one-a-day women's gummies wherever vitamins are sold. Always use as directed. I am so thrilled to introduce today's guest, Debbie Travis. Her credentials include CEO, producer, host, designer, and she's also a writer here today to talk about her brand new book, Design Your Next Chapter, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life. Welcome, Debbie. Hello, hello, hello. So great to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here. I love all of your work, your whole range of things, and I really love your book. I love the last one, which was perfectly titled Not Guilty, and takes uh, takes mums from birth to the empty nest. And this book kind of picks up where you left off. What made you decide that this was an important book to write? 
Um, well, it was basically, it's a bit like buying uh, a new car. Suddenly you see that car everywhere. Well, I started um, this next chapter of my own, um, which was to renovate this old property, very, very old property in Tuscany. And I started retreats. And through that, I started to meet other people and recognize other stories really around the world, whether they were through TED Talks, through articles in newspapers, or people I met, and I became fascinated by people starting their own next chapters. I found it very, very interesting, and um, and basically, uh, I started to interview people and put all, everybody else's kind of stories together in this book. So the book is kind of um, it's my journey. I'm the kind of thread throughout it of jumping into this new chapter, um, and then there's kind of all the advice that you need if you want to start something new. And of course, you know, it's terrifying for so many people. And then, of course, um, there's the all these other people's stories to inspire you. For sure. And I love how you've included some great commandments in the book for people looking to design their next chapter. And one thing you encourage people to do is to embrace your mistakes. So why is this an important message? And can you tell the story of a mistake you made that actually led to something great? Oh, God, I've made so many. (laughs) Um, I think it's been one constant mistake. But um, I I think we're often, I think fear is is so important and, and so relevant for so many people of moving forward. And this fear of making mistakes, whether, you know, you're, you're working now and you're frightened of making mistakes or whether it's your, your family life or, or, uh, you know, you're running a company, mistakes are really what make us. And very often what mistakes do is they create us a a way down another path. So when you start something new, the biggest thing is what if it goes wrong? What, What if I do something, you know, terrible? And, um, but there's always a kind of, there's a way out. There's always a silver lining. You know, very few people I interviewed said, I shouldn't have done this. This went wrong and this went wrong. But that's what holds us back um, really quite badly. So I think with mistakes, I mean, God, there's so many. But uh, throughout my career, I've, um, I- I'd say every mistake, whether they're mistakes I've made in television with things going wrong or um you know, any kind of work, you know, it's, I mean, the worst mistake I think um, we ever made was when we were shooting facelift where we, it was the very first show and we went into the wrong house and within an hour we'd ripped the entire (laughs) ground floor (laughs) of the house. Uh uh, It's a whole story, but you know, the guy said, I'll leave the key under the mat and then the door was open. He'd gone take the kids to school. You know, we were surprising the mother and, and uh, the, um, it was one, it was the first reality show of uh, to do with design and um the i had a earpiece in and i remember the director saying to me okay debbie go to the front door homeowner coming down the path greeting for the first time and of course i'd never met these people before the crew had i hadn't and there was this man standing there and i said well mr smith you've got the ugliest house i've ever seen and very soon it's going to be great and your wife jill you know whatever and then he said <laughs> he said well actually mr smith lives next door <laughs> and it was like oh, and so no. so our first show and we had literally it takes it takes an hour to de- demolish somebody's home it really doesn't take very long with, you know, 30 people with sledgehammers. Um, but that was a hard call to the network. <laughs> I've just blown the, <laughs> blown the budget, you know. Um, but but what happened with that was, yes, it was crippling um, what we'd done. It was brutal. But um, we had it all on camera and we created magic because we kept it all in the show. And uh, we broke all records in this country for cable television. And, and uh, we had something that had never been seen before, you know, me running around in my rollers and stuff like that. And and, <laughs> and it went on to be a huge, huge hit. <laughs> so there's always a silver lining. <laughs> yes, that's a great story. Uh, One of your tips for women wanting to make a change is that they should reach out to someone who motivates them, as you did with uh, Frances Mays, the author of Under the Tuscan Sun. And I'm wondering, what would you say are some ways that people could go about that without looking like a stalker or bothering someone? That would be my worry. There are lots of people I'd love to reach out to who motivate me, but I don't want to annoy them. So what are some tips from your end? 
Well, I think the first thing you, you should do is put that thought aside, because one thing I've learned is that people who are successful, people who are doing something they love, love, love to talk about it, and they love to share. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it'd be very rare for, you know, somebody to just say, you know, go away, get lost, I'm too busy. Um, <laughs> you'd be quite surprised. And, and again, it's all down to that being intimidated or being fearful. And today the advantage is that you, that you can follow, you know, if you want to say you've got, you, you know, you've been working in a bank for 20 years and you say, you know, what, I've had enough now. I want to start my own little, um, bakery. And it's something maybe you've always dreamed of. You love to bake. You know your stuff's good. How do you do it? How do you go? So the first thing you can do is so easily today is Google people who've done it. You know, maybe there's somebody in your town who's got a little coffee shop and they started their thing. Honestly, you, it's quite unusual that somebody will turn you away. And, you know, you may not get to Sir Richard Branson, but there are, <laughs> there are people who, I mean, you know, your example was that I, you know, I bought this ruin in Tuscany and gave up everything and sat on a hillside with this dream, this renovation. And, you know, Tuscany in July is spectacular. Maybe in February when it's pouring with rain, it ain't so pretty, you know. And I had, mm -hmm. I, I had no friends. I, I knew nobody. And um, I, um, I, I really needed to to find somebody to help me. And the only person I knew was the author of Under the Tuscan Sun. And somehow I, I Googled her. She had a, an olive oil consortium. She sold her olive oil and she had a website. And I rang the number and her husband answered and said, uh, well, would you like to speak to her? And I was like, uh, yeah. And she said, why don't you come around for, t for tea? So I, next day I was on her doorstep and I'm still asking her, you know, where'd you go to the dentist? Where'd you do this? I was in a str <laughs> strange country, didn't speak the language and I was alone. And um, she became my first friend there and, and has been so kind to me, but I knew her like everybody else, from sobbing my way through the movie and the book. Uh, uh, and, you know, it, you're in a country where it's like, well, where'd you get your hair cut? Where'd you buy tile from? Where'd you get flooring from? I knew absolutely nothing. And so she became my kind of mentor for a while, but I just called her out of the blue. I mean, who am I to speak to a, you know, a best-selling author, um, you know, who's had... 15 or I don't know 20 books out there and and a best-selling movie you know but you just yeah. you just pl pluck up the courage and just go out and do it because you could the only other option is you turn around in tears and say they slam the door in my face and that's rare yeah okay take the risk sounds good I have a personal curiosity about something. So I think when we look at different careers and pathways, it's easy to think that the grass is greener on the other side so I want to ask you about one of your careers so when I think about TV hosting, which is a not so secret dream of mine, I assume that it must have been so much fun and so worthwhile. And you've written about how someone came to your home, your hair and your makeup, and you had an assistant, but I'm sure there must be downsides that listeners would be interested in. So what were the downsides of being a famous TV host? Well, I think the difference with me is that I, I the, the one good thing that I, I did from the beginning um, is I owned my show. I was a television producer at the BBC in the UK and uh, not a very good one, but, um, <laughs> but when I came here, I got kind of, I kind of pushed myself into the, the limelight because um, there was nobody else could do it, you know, and, and I, it was the first decorating show in North America and, it, and I was terrible. I mean, I had a teleprompter at the beginning and it would be like, pick up your brush and stir, the, you know, I mean, we had no budget, we had nothing. And, and so I think with me, it wasn't something I really wanted was, you know, to be on television, but, um, I just kind of did it. But, but the, 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 the downside, as you say, that, that, the thing was that when you're producing, it's your money, it's your um, your neck on the line. You're not just doing it because the, because the director says, okay, action go I'd be like well why are we doing it now why didn't it so I had a million questions you're you're producing the shows yourself um so it was a I mean I did it for 25 years and and I've done five series and it, and it is a lot of stress it's not particularly nice to have um 
a hairdresser and makeup artist sitting at the breakfast table and you, you know, you're trying to kind of hit the kids, make sure their homework's in their bag, give them the cereal and everything while somebody's blow drying your hair. But I did that for a long, long time throughout their whole childhood. My kids think it's quite normal that there's a hairdresser sitting at the end of the, kid, at the breakfast table. Um, but, you know, it's I, I never... I don't think I have a terribly big ego. So I was never really into the kind of, you know, I'd say the fame side of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, it you know, the only downside is sometimes, you know, wh- when I moved to Italy, um, what I didn't know was the show was on three times a day. It was called, um, it was called, uh, what is it? SOS Debbie was, was actually facelift. And I see all these old ladies all in black in the village, you know, in the supermarket, you know, like pointing at me and whatever. I'm like, why are they looking? And then I kept hearing this word SOS Debbie. And I thought it was because I was the mad English woman who was taken on this renovation. <laughs> and, and then I found out that the show was on all day. So that was like, oh God, you know, now I'm being recognized here, you know, and I'm running around in my boots and, you know, my Wellingtons and my, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my sloppy jacket type of thing. But um, I, you know what? It's not like being a movie star. It, it, it's um, it's lovely when people come up and they're nice to you and they recognize you. And like last night, I flew in from Europe and uh, exhausted at midnight. And I picked up my suitcases on the carousel and walked off. And I heard uh, eight people shouting, Debbie, Debbie. And I was like, oh, no, what? What? You know, you look like half the meals stuck in my hair you know and I turned around and I'd left my pulley my my hand luggage sitting by the carousel (laughs) thank goodness there were some fans there and I was oh god thank you (laughs) you know and so you know generally people are so nice um you know you get a lot you get people who go you're much taller fatter thinner you know uglier prettier than in real life you know than on television I don't know but all in all, it's nice. It's um, it's a very warm feeling to think that people actually care, you know. Definitely. Now, in Design Your Next Chapter, you refer to what you call the giddy years. And uh, the way you define those is when we're working, raising a family, and trying to keep a relationship together all the same time. And I know uh, many women that you see at your retreat in Tuscany and have written about in this book are kind of past the giddy years. And for some, their marriage has ended or they're empty nesters or they're retired or fed up with their current career. And I'm wondering, because a lot of my listeners are still in the giddy years phase, so what advice would you give them to help position themselves better for that next chapter? You know, it's a great, uh, it's a great question. So, you know, I think we all have a seed of an idea, you know, when you're kind of washing up or you're making dinner, I said in the book, you know, you could be lying in Savasana pose going, you know, I could do this. I could be a yoga teacher, or you could be, you know, serving the kids, your goulash and then mom this is so good you should market this well maybe I should and then what happens is you know time gets in the way money you can't always just jump into a next chapter but you know you pocket away that 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 idea that seed somewhere and it starts to grow and the time will come and the dream may change um but but I think you know it's all in the timing and what was so fascinating by interviewing people of all ages in the book who had started something new. Yes, I think the 30s and 40s are probably the toughest time, but one of the most interesting women that I interviewed was a woman in the UK who at 60 was um, uh, divorced. She was on her own. Her kids had fled the nest, and she was quite frankly bored. And one thing that had really annoyed her was, she, every time she walked through a department store, you know, there was some kind of gorgeous 18-year-old selling her some face cream saying, you know, you can look like me. And she was like, no, I cannot look like you, you know. <laughs> and so she started on her own um, a cosmetics line. And when I interviewed her, um, I said, oh, maybe we should have lunch next week. And she said, well, actually, I'd love to, but I'm on the way to Los Angeles to put her products in the Oscar bags. And she did that within three years. And what she said, which was so interesting, because I think every age and every kind of stage in your life has different um challenges and different things that you need to think about. So with her, she said, when I decided to do this, I taught myself how to build a website. I hired a couple of 15-year-olds to help me. Um, and I ha- I had 
I had some money, you know, she downsized her house. But her biggest lesson was, you know, if you have $50,000 in the bank and you want to start something new, don't invest $50,000 because at 60 years old, you don't have the time to make that money back. Mm-hmm. Um, if in your 30s, you do. You can always say, well, it didn't work out. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm back doing this, this, and this. So you have to look at it at different stages in your life. Um, so, you know, some of the stories in the book really come from people uh, like this one girl that I found in Norway who had gone to dental school and she was only in her late twenties. And she, I don't know how long you go to dental school for, but I'm sure it's a pretty long time. And uh, she'd done the whole thing. And on her first day in her first practice, as the she, somebody opened their first mouth, she was like, nah, I don't want to do this. And so we followed her next chapter in, you know, how she, how she, did, she made that decision, you know, after all those years of training that, you know what, this is just not for me. But she followed what she really loved, which was hiking and, and being out in the wilderness. And she now runs the most southern post office in the world in the Antarctic. And I mean, it's the most bizarre story, but it gives an example because I know there's a lot of people have followed you know, their parents, they've done the whole thing, which is good. You know, they've gone to university, they've done the training, but they're the generation who is saying, you know what, maybe this is not for me. This is what I want to do. And I think it's great times in the way that you can spread your wings and you can jump out there and, um, and follow your dreams. And if you want to have that beach bar in Greece, you know what, this generation is doing it. They don't have to be a lawyer and a, and a CEO of a company. They don't have to do that every day. I mean, it's wonderful if that's what you want to do. But I think our generation and our parents' generation, who were in a job for 40 years, I mean, you know, things have changed a lot. Definitely. And then, and then of course, you know, I'm from the generation of the first kind of working women, um, you know, women who had careers. And it was, you know, kind of normal to have careers. I mean, you know, you might have had a career in the 60s, but it was unusual. But, you know, in the last 20 years, this has been the time where women could soar and and and, and say it's okay to go out and, and do my thing. And then they get to a stage where, you know, sometimes it's like I've done it. I, I've reached the pinnacle. What I don't want to, I can't, I can't learn anymore. And I, that was my story, really. I mean, I'd been in the television business for, you know, 20 odd years, 25 years, 50, I don't know, a long time. And I got to the stage, (laughs) Hey, I'm old, you know, but I got to the stage, I'd be sitting in meetings and I love the television business. I've been in it since my early twenties. And, you know, I'd sit in these meetings and I'd be like, this is like deja vu. I've heard all this before. I was beginning to feel bored by the same old, same old. And we should never be bored. You know, there's always moments where, you know, of course, everyday work can be not as thrilling, you know, but but if it's a constant sense of like, I've been here before, I'm not stimulated, I'm not excited, then that's the time where this seed starts growing. But then you need the tools to make the leap into the mm-hmm. next thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you've given great advice before too. The last time I interviewed you, it was 2010 and my girls were two years old and four years old, and now they are 10 and 12. And I know even then you had talked about moms kind of having something of their own that's not just motherhood as their identity. And I think that totally fits in with the whole design your next chapter too, because some things you might not be able to do while the kids are little, but you keep your different interests going. You keep your, your foot in the door or you keep developing things so that then when the time comes, you'll be ready. So that was great advice that I have I've kept in mind all this time. Well, good. Because I, I think the, the most heart wrenching part of the book was I interviewed a lot of empty nesters and one of them is my sister-in-law and I I had to ask her in the end I talked to her so much you know while I was writing this book because she was the poster child for the the woman who she has two daughters my nieces and they're both in university now and she took it very badly because um what she you know what she said was this is the core of my being this is has been my purpose in life. 
um, is to raise my children. And that is amazing, you know, for so many women, whether they're stay-at-home mums or working mums. But, you know, that purpose, that, that is the core of everything you do. You might work, you might do other stuff, but the core is getting those girls or boys or whatever it is to the ste- to the stage where they can leave home, you know, get them into university or into their own worlds or into jobs or whatever it is. But all the people that I interviewed described it in such heart-wrenching um, feelings of this knot in the stomach, this emptiness that feels like, you know, I, I, one woman actually said to me, used to bring me to tears. She said, it's like a dripping tap. I feel like my vitality has gone because my children have gone. And you can't, I mean, the children have got to soar. They've got to do their own thing. They don't want mum calling, you know, we, this helicopter parent thing every five minutes. And they find it very hard. And um, so I think for them, it's a matter of, uh, you know, what can I do next? So that's something that, like you say, you're going into the teenage years and stuff. And, you know, in the next few years, you start thinking, you know, I'm going to have all, instead of being miserable about it, think of the free, I always say to them, think of the freedom you've got. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to pay a babysitter to go to a movies. You don't have to, you know, spend all this money on school stuff. You know, you've, you've got a freedom, but instead of, but instead of being miserable about it, look at the advantage of it. Your time is yours now. And this is the time to say, you know what? Maybe I would like to become a yoga teacher or maybe I would like to, um, you know, just follow a particular dream that you've had. And, and, and so that seed starts to grow. And I think those seeds are the most important thing because you don't have to act on them straight away, but you can grow them in your mind. You can play with ideas. You can talk to other people. So when the day comes, you're ready to, um, you know, jump, jump into something that's for you that fulfills that hole. And it is a hole for a lot of women. It's a hard thing. And we see a lot of tears, <laughs> a lot. Mm-hmm. I bet. Well, I also love one of your commandments, which is lose the fear. And you reference that 3 a.m. sort of witching hour when all the worries are swirling in your head. And that is something I can definitely relate to. So what does Debbie Travis do at 3 a.m. with all those worries in, in her head? How do you uh, How do you help that? Uh, well, I've just, I've just come back from two weeks in India uh, at an ashram, and you know they teach you all this stuff about, um, you know, trying to create a peaceful interior with an active life, and uh, you know meditation is a huge thing today. I, I I can't really push meditation because I find it so incredibly difficult. Um, but 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 you have to quieten your mind, and I I think one of the the, the tools because there's nothing going to be achieved at three in the morning. Whatever you're worrying about, whether it's paying the mortgage or where you're going to go next, is you have to put all your devices in another room. You really do. And, you know, it's that, you know, that blue light that they talk about. I think sleep has been one of the most underestimated um, health uh, things for all of us. And, and we do need good sleep, but we're getting less sleep now because all this stuff's flashing and n- pinging at night. And, and, and it's so easy to grab your phone, put it in another room, just shut the door. And, 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 you know, if you wake up at three o'clock, you just have to kind of, you know, close your mind and say, I'll worry about it in the morning. I can't worry about it now or else you never get to sleep. And, and you, you, it's a habit. And once you get into that habit of saying, you know, nothing is going to be achieved in the middle of the night, worry about it tomorrow. And, and I used to get very bad sleep problems when I was filming early on, when I first started The Painted House, because there was so much on, on my head being, the, like I said, the producer, the owner of the show, doing everything, plus painting the walls and even making lunch in the early days because I had no money. But, you know, you, you have to learn to, because you can't function properly without a decent night's sleep, as we all know. So you have to kind of push it aside. But, but yeah, it's... Um, it's part and parcel of us. And, and I think we have seem to be having more stress and more worries with all the tools that we've got to help us. And I, and that's the other thing. I think you have to look at everything that's out there today, how lucky we are. But what's happening is we're taking it all 
too seriously. You know, we're, we we have to see the positive side of all the technology and not the negative side, which is kind of bringing us to our knees at the moment, competing, competing. What's the other people doing? What are they doing, you know? Yes, for sure. Now, something interesting you mentioned in the book is that qualifications don't always matter. And I mean, you yourself learned how to be a designer, a CEO, all those different things on the job. And even as someone who's done so much hiring over the years, um, you haven't always given qualifications a ton of weight. Do you think there's too much focus on formal education and getting the right paperwork, whether it's for second chapters or even for first, first careers in people's lives? Um, well, it's a tough one because, you know, my kids, I, my kids would hear me say that saying, so we don't have to go to college. I'm like, yes, you do <laughs> yes. Yeah. go to school. Um, I left school at 16, uh, partly because, you know, it, where I was brought up, you know, I don't think my mother even noticed I'd left home. I mean, it was just, was not that it was never discussed. It, we never talked about, you know, future education and stuff. It was like, go and get a job. You know, that was it really. So I was very, very happy to, um, to leave home and, you know, head for the big city lights in London. I mean, now I look back and I think, oh my God, how did I do it? But I think it, there was a huge amount of street smarts, which today, you know, the kids really don't have, you know, they've, even my kids, you know, it's always mom, you know, that particular voice <laughs> that they have usually when they want money, but, um, uh -huh. you know, and, and they're, they're more mollycoddled than, than, than I certainly was. But, um, I mean, you try getting a good plumber today. I think plumbers earn more than, more than lawyers, you know. So I, I do think one of the sad things is in the last kind of 15 years of pushing everybody that you must have a degree is that the trades have suffered and mm -hmm. people using their hands. And, and that's, I hope, is starting to turn around because – you know, you may not be a future surgeon or lawyer or whatever, you know, maybe you should be a carpenter and there's nothing wrong with that. And you can have a very, very good living using your hands today. Um, so I, I think we have to not, I think the children are so stressed out today um, with, with the careers that parents are pushing i think parents are, are so frantic that they have to get up there but there is a there is a movement going on of some companies now are not hiring from cvs you know they're hiring from your personalities and and you know i think with kids do as much as you can yes i think you do have to get that further education to a certain degree or you can't get a foot in the door but as an employer um, what I want to see is what have you done? You know, have you got off your laptop and off your social media? Have you toured the world? Have you done a gap year? I think gap years are crucial, you know, for kids. It's, it's pretty mandatory now in the UK before or after school, you know, like before university or after university, you know, they're so stressed out with no gap from uh, from leaving school, jumping right into the next thing, that kids go off now. And the, the gap book is amazing. I mean, I'd love to do half the things they do, you know. <laughs> and my kids did it. And and now one of my children is a humanitarian um, uh, working all over the world. And, and, and I think it came from, you know, shoving him out of the house at 16 and saying, right, go and work on a vineyard in Italy. Or he went mm -hmm. and dug dug bunkers in Hamburg for six months at 16 to 17 years old and had the time of his life and met people from all over or work building houses in Africa for, you know, that's how they spent their, their summer holidays. And, you know, I think, um, I think it, 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 it's so important for them to see the rest of the world and then come back and, and find your place because it's, it's, I feel sorry for the kids today. You know, I, I think they're pushed so hard um, and God, who'd be for a 14 year old girl. I found it hard without social media today. Oh, I know. Oh, that's oh, a whole my. other question. <laughs> that is a so, whole other thing. Mm -hmm. So two quick questions before we wrap up. So the second last question, can you just tell me a little bit about the Tuscan retreats? Because I see everything on your website and your social media. They look so amazing. So who are mm -hmm. those retreats best suited for? And how do I convince my husband that I should go? <laughs> well, um, we've been doing it now for nearly 10 years. So the, the, the first five years I rented, I, uh, I rented a property so I could, um, 
you know, kind of see if this is something that would work. And it was just such an incredible hit. So we bought the place. And then while it was being renovated, we carried on once a year because I was filming uh, my CBC show. So we could only do one a year. And then in 2015, we moved into our place, which is amazing. I, you know, it's really beautiful. So the idea is um, women from all walks of life, from all ages and from around the world um, can come here and they can come alone. That's how I originally started it. So women could just come and talk about where they're going next, talk about, you know, their husbands, their kids, their, 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 everything that women are holding on their shoulders all day. And they can brainstorm ideas and and we have yoga we have uh hiking we have copious amounts of alcohol um there's not we're like your mothers for the week we have life coaches <laughs> chefs barmen you know and they basically they turn into 14 year old naughty girls i mean it, it's hilarious to watch you know um and and it's a life-changing week i have to say it's somewhere um where it really can put you in perspective and and ground you and say, okay, this is the path that I want to start. It's very non-judgmental, but obviously everybody can't come. And that's why I really wanted to write this book to answer all these questions that, um, that, that kind of have arisen through hundreds. We've had nearly a thousand people out there over the, over the years. And um, I've, I've met some incredible people and, and some, you know, some sadness. I, I had a woman, just to give you an idea, um, last summer who, uh, who, who was widowed um, early, young, and she basically led on the sofa for five years. And she had grown-up daughters and, you know, they, they tried to keep an eye on her. And she said she was basically paralyzed and, and she just led there. And she said one, the television was always on. And she said one day... I heard your voice and I kind of sat up and went, oh, there's Debbie Travis in Italy. And anyway, she said she watched La Dolce Debbie, which was a documentary we made about this. And um, she, rang, <laughs> she rang her daughter up and she said, um, okay, I've made a decision. I'm, um, I'm going to Tuscany to stay with Debbie Travis. And the daughter <laughs> said, mom, you haven't even been to the supermarket in five years. You know, you're going to Italy. <laughs> Anyway, she did. She did. And six months later, she arrived at our place. And this was her beginning. This was her way of saying, I start now. It's not going to be easy, but now I have to build a life. Enough now. You know, I've I've grieved. Um, It it was a sudden death. You know, it was traumatic for her. And, you know, and the same with people divorced, the same with people. You know, some of the people are having the hardest time are the ones going through early retirement. Canada has a lot of early retirement. So you get early retirement, say in your early 50s, now fill in one of those forms that you keep seeing on websites about how long you're going to live. And it's going to be like, yeah, you're going to live till you're 85. That's over 30 years. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't just play golf for 30 years. What are you going to do? How do you keep your vitality? How do you bring vitality back into your life? Well, you need to do something. So there's those people. There's the empty nesters there's the young ones you know there's so many people but it's all different at what stage of life like you said you're in so that's what we tackle in Tuscany we you know we do a lot of fun stuff as well and like like my husband's like do they ever shut up you know there's a lot of talk and it's the noisiest yoga class you could ever go to uh, and meditation they, they they chatter away the whole time uh, but now we're doing some for men so we do a gourmet one where where husbands and wives can come and and uh, it's all about food and wine and cooking and stuff um so we're doing different types of one and we've got our first health ones next year because one of the reasons i started these retreats is i you know, I, I've, I loved this place so much. And I thought, well, if I feel like this, if I feel so healthy and, and fit and full of life, you know, with this Mediterranean diet, um, I'm in the blue zone, as they call it. Um, and, you know, the, the, the community that the Italian villages have, how can I share this, this longevity with others? And that's how really the retreats came about. And in one week, because all the food is local, it's all organic, it's all healthy. We don't snack. We eat, and you know, we have have a lot of booze. But you know, Jane <laughs> Jane Fonda said alcohol has its own rules, which I do believe in. But you know, these women they leave us 
shining like little girls. I mean, it's like, where have the wrinkles gone? They look, and, and so we try and give them the tools. How do you bring this healthy lifestyle, this way of life back to, 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 you know, to your home? Because, you know, a week with me is great, but you need to carry it on. And it's not about just a diet. It, it's about understanding, you know, your body and what's going on and why do you feel why do you feel tingly and so great when you're here well okay let's break it down so these are going to be our you know our first health retreats next year which i'm i'm so excited about we've got some fantastic speakers and nutritionists and life coaches and and um there will be still alcohol though we will be drinking <laughs> wine you can't come you can't come to, well you can't come to italy and not drink the wine Fair enough. Well, that all sounds incredible. So it's definitely on my uh, my wish list for the future. And my very final question for you is, do you have one sort of a this mom loves or a favorite thing that you could recommend to listeners, whether it's a drink, a beauty product, a game, a movie, anything that, that you love right now that listeners might enjoy too? Well, I'm a massive, massive uh, fan, as many of your listeners will know, of olive oil because I also have an olive oil farm there. So we've just finished the harvest. Um, we've just picked 2,000 trees um, and uh, we export all the oil. But I use oil for everything now. So, you know, it's a pure, organic, extra virgin oil. I have it um, in my uh, in a little spray bottle by my toothbrush. So I spray it on my face before I get into bed at night and just rub it into those you know, forever growing wrinkles. And um, I I think it's the, one of the most magical products in the world. You know, as long as you get the good stuff, um, just use it, put it on your lips, put it on. And the great thing about olive oil, people think, oh, it's going to be so greasy and oily. It sinks in straight away. And, you know, we're, we're going into the winter now and, uh, you know, it's quite chilly out there. So, you know, Get, keep the, don't just keep it for the food. Rub olive oil into your hands, into your legs, around your, your eyes, and um, keep those wrinkles away, as they say. So that's my, my beauty product. <laughs> All right. That is perfect. So I will have a link for more information or to purchase Debbie Travis's new book, Design Your Next Chapter, as well as links to her website and social media accounts on the website with the show notes for this episode, which is number nine. Thank you so much for being here, Debbie, and all the best with your new book. It's really excellent. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. Wonderful. And that brings us to the end of our show this week. I would first like to thank my amazing editor, Lucas Wojcicki, and thank all of you for listening and being here. If you want to find out any information from today's episode, it will be at thismumloves.ca slash podcasts. And this was episode nine. So I'll have some information on the Medipedi, um, tips for simplifying Christmas, and as promised, a link to Debbie Travis's book, her site, and her social media accounts too. And one big favor, I'd love to ask all of you out there, if you do enjoy listening to This Mom Loves, could you please tell a friend, send them a text right now, send them an email, or just turn to a person sitting near you and tell them that they should listen. And if there's someone who does not know how to listen to podcasts or even what a podcast is, maybe you could set up their app for them and show them, let them know, and look up This Mom Loves to get them started. We really appreciate it at my end. Thank you so much and have a great week.